The title of this morning's message is The Sound of Grace. This morning I want to talk to you about the sound of grace. This message really goes hand in hand with my last message. In my last message, I ministered about the truth that the voice of God through Jesus Christ can be heard through our words. And it was called His Voice, Our Words. One of the things I wanted you to see in that message is that everything and everyone in this world can hear the voice of God. Mountains can hear his voice, fig trees can hear his voice, fish, waves, wind, and of course, people. In fact, all people can hear the voice of God, not with their physical ears, but with their spiritual ears. Even Lazarus, after he was dead for four days, could hear the voice of God through the spoken words of Jesus Christ. When God speaks, everyone has the opportunity to hear, even the dead. Now, knowing that everything and everyone can hear the voice of God, it should encourage us to both speak and to listen for his voice of grace. Under the new covenant in particular, his voice speaks grace. My daughter and I were talking about a book that she's been listening to. It's been made into a movie. It's called Breakthrough. And this movie comes out April 17th. And this movie involves the raising of a child from the dead who had broken through the ice on a lake and who had actually drowned. The book and the movie are both based on a true story. One of the TV trailers shows that one of the rescue workers kept searching in order to find this young boy, even though logically he should have given up. Actually, he didn't really think of it as a rescue so much as a recovery. The man went in knowing that this boy had been underneath the water for over 15 minutes. But there was this voice in his head. <laughs> you ever hear somebody say, something told me? <laughs> you see, the unbelievers don't know what that something is. But we do. You see, everyone can hear the voice of God. So this voice kept telling this man, keep going, keep going, keep looking, keep at it. This voice would not let him give up because he had a praying mama. <laughs> That's one of the reasons. <laughs> and so this rescue worker, after the fact, is telling this man about what happened, how this voice, this something kept talking to him. And this man says, well, that is the sound of God's voice. And he says, yeah, but I don't believe in God. That doesn't matter one iota. Everything and everyone can hear the voice of God. God doesn't talk to us through our physical ears, unless we're like being really stupid and not paying attention. <laughs> Most people never hear the audible voice of God, but I have. But you know when it was? When I was being incredibly stupid and endangering my life. God yelled at me from the back seat, stop! <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't some big, gigantic spiritual experience. It was God saying, stop being stupid. You're going way too fast. <laughs> but everyone and everything can hear the voice of God. That man's unbelief didn't stop God talking to him. That's the funny thing, is God has paid for the sin of the whole world. God has the right to talk to all of us. Even if we think we're agnostic or atheist or anything else, he's like, I don't care, honey, I love you. <laughs> You're going to hear my voice. Even if you reject it, I'm going to give you the opportunity. 
to hear my voice. When I believe that sound, that voice of God that this unbeliever had, that was the sound of grace. It is the very sound of grace. And I believe that every believer is looking for the sound of grace. And I believe that every unbeliever can hear the sound of grace. Not everyone will receive the sound of grace because of their preconceived ideas about God or themselves, but they can hear it. You hear them say it all the time. Something told me that is our Jesus. That is our Father. He is so good. He will talk to people who don't even recognize him. Twice now, I had been with my husband when he's been speaking to another believer about the truth of God's grace while sharing a meal. And someone who has overheard him speaking has come to ask him afterward about what they heard. What's really interesting about this is that both times the room he was in was literally filled with noise and people. You ever go to a busy restaurant and you find yourself yelling at the person across the table so they can hear you? <laughs> That's what was happening both times. Lots and lots of people, lots and lots of dishes clanking, lots and lots of noise. You're yelling at the person sitting right next to you. <laughs> and what happened was people have ears to hear, especially to hear the grace of God. The first time this happened, Mark was sharing the truth with another believer about guilt, shame, and condemnation, our enemies. <laughs> he said, guilt says you made a mistake. Shame says you are the mistake. And condemnation says you have to pay for your mistake. Shortly thereafter, a young lady, I had seen her in the corner, but after they had finished their meal, she was with her mother and sisters, she came up to our table and said, I heard what you said. Can you repeat that? Mark is telling someone, shame doesn't belong to you. Guilt doesn't belong to you. Condemnation doesn't belong to you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And somebody way over in a corner said, I need to hear that because that's not what I normally hear. I love the sound of grace. Grace will change you in a heartbeat. Her heart needed to hear that her father loved her just the way she was, that her father approved of her just the way she was, that he wasn't handing up some kind of list of do's and don'ts and said, fill this out and then I'll love you. That's not the father that loves us. This young lady, to me, looked as though she was a Pentecostal believer. She and her mother and sisters all had very long hair, no makeup, and skirts almost down to her ankles. Pentecostal believers are very legalistic. They love Jesus. Don't get me wrong. They are born again believers. I was in a holiness church. I tried to change my whole outside of me to make my father love me and accept me. Because I was told he wouldn't accept me unless I did the do's and the don'ts. <laughs> This young lady heard, your father's not mad. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's not holding anything against you. And she heard it. She heard the sound of grace over an unbelievable amount of noise because her heart was crying out, I need to know that you love me just the way I am. And she heard it that day. She heard the sound of grace. Now, Mark didn't actually use the word grace, but it was God's grace that was overheard. 
This young lady was obviously doing everything she knew to do to be acceptable to God. And then she overheard the sound of grace saying, you already are. You already are. You can quit working so hard to make yourself acceptable. I accept you just as you are, and I love you just as you are. It is only the message of grace that will set anyone's heart, especially if we are perfectionists <laughs> and you belong to a holiness or Pentecostal kind of background. You are trying with all of your heart and might to make the outside of you acceptable to God. And he says, you're doing it backwards. I make you acceptable on the inside, and then you live out of that relationship. And everything changes. The truth that through the blood of Jesus Christ alone, we no longer stand guilty, shameful, or condemned because of our mistakes and failures. The truth is that God no longer sees his children as guilty, shameful sinners. Instead, the blood of Jesus has transformed believers into sons of God who can live in the freedom and power of our Father's grace. His absolutely free, loving kindness. I found that definition years ago when I was like, what is this grace? <laughs> I hear a lot about grace. What exactly is it? <laughs> you see, my church wasn't really very good at explaining what grace was. I would hear people pray, Lord, please heal so-and-so. And if not, Give them grace. I was like, oh, this doesn't sound good. <laughs> I don't know what grace is, but it's not what they're asking for. <laughs> My church didn't understand grace. People love Jesus. People love the Father. They're doing their best to walk the walk, but they still don't know the truth of the gospel of grace. They're still trying to work to please their Father. Grace has a sound to it. And it's the only sound that will satisfy the heart of a believer and give them rest. It is the sound of our Father's voice saying, not guilty, child, not guilty. The blood of my Son has removed your sins from you as far as the East is from the West. You know, I heard that over and over, but I didn't get it. I thought it was just the sins that I committed yesterday that were removed as far as the East is from the West when it very clearly tells us he has removed all of our sin as far as the east is from the west. You see, guilt. <laughs> guilt tells us we are bad <laughs> and that our father is mad and we should be so very, very sad <laughs> and do all that we can to make ourselves acceptable to our father. When in actuality, our Father says, you do not bear the guilt of your sins. I have actually removed your sins from you. You are no longer sinful and guilty. Many believers believe themselves to be guilty, but forgiven. But the truth is, you are now without sin in my sight because your sins have been removed from you. Our Father says, all I see is the innocence of my Son. And as he is, so are you in this world. It is his blood that has cleansed you from all your unrighteousness. And it is his blood that keeps you accepted in the beloved. And all of this is because of God's absolutely free loving kindness. We call this absolutely free loving kindness grace. 
It is God's grace that lifts our head to see our enemies of sin, shame, and guilt, and condemnation lying dead in ruinous defeat. (laughs) It is our Father's grace that enables us to be born again into the family of God, created in righteousness and true holiness. It is God's grace that enables us to lie down in green pastures and rest from the never-ending work of trying to be perfect and pleasing to our Father. Grace has a sound to it. It says, rest from all of your labors as I have from mine. It says, come as you are, and I will in no wise cast you out. It says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you to myself. Yes, grace has a sound to it, and our hearts long to hear it. Last week, Mark and I were in Minneapolis, And while we were having breakfast with our friend Peter Swart, the sound of grace was again overheard. Unbeknownst to us, there was a couple with two small children who had come to Minneapolis in order to take advantage of free entrance to a certain museum. Normally, museums are very pricey. (laughs) There was an opportunity to go to this museum for free. They were over in the corner. We noticed their two little girls. They were Cute, very cute. (laughs) We were oogling the children. (laughs) That's all that we really noticed is that they were with these little kids. But when we got up to leave, the husband stepped out in front of Mark and said, we overheard what you said. You said the blood of Jesus makes us holy? Where is that found? (laughs) Well, that's found in Hebrews 10.10 which says, by which will, God's divine will, we are made holy, sanctified, set apart to the Lord Jesus Christ through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I love the phrase once for all because Jesus was offered as our sacrificial lamb. One one and only time. He doesn't get crucified over and over again like a lamb in the old covenant where you had to have a new lamb for every sin. Jesus is the lamb for all sin, for all people, for all time. One time, God said, is good enough. It is the blood of my son that cleanses you from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. Because Jesus was offered as our sacrificial lamb, one time and one time only, for all sin, and for all people, and for all time, once for all. Unfortunately, many believers struggle with feeling unholy. (laughs) Guilt, shame, condemnation utterly ruin the feelings of closeness within our relationship with our Heavenly Father. These enemies, guilt, shame, and condemnation, make holy people feel unholy and unpleasing to their Father. They make believers believe that God is the God of the swivel chair. You know, when you're doing good, his face is toward you. <laughs> and you have his favor and you have his blessing, but oh, you messed up. <laughs> his face is away from you. His grace is turned away. His favor is turned away. Lie, lie, lie. He is not the God of the swivel chair. He is the God of the throne of grace. And he calls and speaks from that throne. I believe that this young couple was having one of those mornings where guilt was weighing heavy on their hearts. They were born-again believers, and they weren't in church. 
<laughs> they were sort of playing hooky that day, <laughs> taking their beautiful little family on a special adventure that they normally couldn't afford to participate in. And while they're having breakfast with their sweet little family, the ugly head of condemnation threatened to ruin their entire day. You're not in church. God must be mad. <laughs> you're not where you're supposed to be. Lie, lie, lie. Our Heavenly Father heard the hearts of his children, and he loosed the sound of grace through a man named Mark Testerman. The sound of grace was heard above all the noise of the restaurant, above all the sound of guilt and shame and condemnation. Grace says, I'm not mad, and you're not bad, and there's no reason for you to be sad. <laughs> the sound of grace brought Christ himself and the truth of our Father's grace to them where they were to assure them that our Father God never turns away from his children and that his face is always towards them, always releasing his absolutely free loving kindness. When we hear the sound of grace, it won't be long until we see and feel the reality of that grace. We left that family in tears that morning. All Mark had to do was pray for them. <laughs> and he prayed grace over them and favor over them and God's absolutely free loving kindness over them. And their heart needed to know God's not mad. God's not sad. He loves us right where we are. And he blesses us right where we are. In a hotel in Minneapolis, God shows up just to let them know how much he loves them and approves of them. Our Father's grace, God's absolutely free loving kindness, is our breath and our life. It is our bread and our drink. It is our joy and our peace. It is the ever-present reality that God is with us and in us and that he likes us <laughs> and that he loves us and that he has finished for all time the work of salvation. Our Father has given us a finished gift. No assembly required. <laughs> no fine print, no instructions. A finished gift. It is entirely complete and received only by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Salvation is not a do-it-yourself project where Jesus does the first part and then you finish doing your part. That's not the gift of salvation. That's religion. And it's oh so easy to fall into the trap of trying to earn acceptance with God or earn our physical blessings. This is what every religion in the world teaches. Do good and make God happy. Do bad and make God mad. Every religion in the world focuses on what we need to do to make God happy. Because if God is happy, then we can expect his blessings to come into our lives. But if we do something wrong, oh, well, then <laughs> you can expect God's judgment and punishment. All of these ideas are completely contrary to the new covenant of God's grace. God's absolutely free. I love that. Absolutely free. Can't earn it. Can't be disqualified from it. Absolutely free. Loving kindness. His completely unmerited favor is extended to us through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. 
Jesus took away every reason for God not to bless us. He removed all of our sin as far as the east is from the west. He bore the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. His death satisfied the very justice of God. So there is now no reason for God to withhold any blessing from us. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, past tense, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, years ago as a young believer, I would look at this verse and think, well, that's nice. <laughs> Someday when I go to heaven, I'll live in the blessing. <laughs> My question was, well, what about now, God? I need some blessings now. What I did not understand at the time was that all physical blessing comes from the spiritual blessing. The terms blessing and cursing are spiritual terms that produce a corresponding reality. Under the old covenant, keeping God's rules brought forth God's blessing and favor over someone's life. But breaking the rules brought forth a curse and his displeasure over their lives, not my life, over their lives. <laughs> so whichever spiritual reality they chose to activate is what was brought forth in the physical reality that they experienced. That's the old covenant when God dealt with people according to their adherence to the law. God dealt with the Israelites from the outside in. He always had to apply pressure <laughs> to keep them under the umbrella of grace <laughs> because he couldn't direct them from the inside. They weren't born again. So everything was outside pressure to help them stay inside the covenant and be blessed. That's not how God deals with us. Under the new covenant, God deals with us based on what Jesus has done not based on what we've done. Because Jesus was obedient, we are blessed. Because Jesus did everything the Father wanted him to do, that innocence and that blessing now belongs to us. When we received Jesus, our Father picked us up and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, where only blessing resides. You see, the, the Israelites would go from being blessed to being cursed, to being blessed to being cursed. We don't do that, even when we sin. We never invoke the curse. We are in a different kingdom. We cannot be cursed by a witch, by a neighbor. <laughs> we cannot be cursed because we live in a whole different realm. I was having a conversation recently with a friend, and she was telling me how absolutely blessed she and her family have been, especially recently. And she was extolling the goodness of her Heavenly Father because she realized that the blessings and goodness and favor that they were experiencing did not come as a reward for anything that they had done. They didn't even ask for any of the blessings. God just did them on his own account because he loves them. <laughs> what she realized was it was just a demonstration of God's absolutely free, loving kindness. She and her family could not have arranged all the blessings that they received her mind was dumbfounded. How on earth could God be this good? And I didn't even ask for any of it. She continued to recount her many, many blessings, saying that God has brought people and relationships and opportunities to her and her family that they could never have received apart from her heavenly father's absolutely free loving kindness. She was experiencing the sound of grace through her own heart. Her own heart was shouting, it's grace, it's grace, it's all of grace. 
You can tell when somebody recognizes God's grace in their life because they cannot shut up about how good their Heavenly Father is. They just have to tell you, you know what my daddy did now? <laughs> Do you see how he has provided for me? And I had no idea. Do you see how he arranged this meeting and there was no way for me to do it? Can I tell you how good my father is that he is working for me and on my behalf all of the time? He is setting things up for me to walk into. He has provided for me for my entire life. And sometimes when the mountains come, we forget just how good daddy is. But she didn't forget that day. She could not hush up about how blessed she was. When we were in Minneapolis, after Mark ministered a message on a life of no condemnation, there was a lady present who recognized the sound of grace in her own heart. She came up to me after Mark finished ministering, and she just lingered there, saying to me over and over again, Thank you. Thank you for coming. She was raised Jewish. She was raised legalistic, and her heart, even as a new believer, needed to hear, Daddy's not mad. Daddy loves me just the way I am. Daddy will help me whatever I need help with. And she just kept hugging me and saying, thank you. And I'm thinking, I didn't do nothing. <laughs> I just came along for the ride. <laughs> That's why it is so important for us to preach grace. Try hard, never changed anybody. But receive grace changes everything. When we receive the goodness of our Father, we can't shut up about how good He is. <laughs> and that's the way our relationship should be. Daddy's not a taskmaster. He invites us to rule and reign with Christ. When we hear the sound of grace, it just opens up our eyes to see and recognize just how good our Heavenly Father really is. How much He really loves us. And how much He delights in who we are. And how free we are to live a life completely loved, completely favored, and completely accepted. Now, like I said before, there are those times in our life when we can lose sight of the Father's presence and His goodness. Those two things are inseparable, by the way. Where our Father's presence is, there his goodness and favor are also. So when difficulties arise in our life, and it doesn't look like we are Father's favorite, <laughs> we don't have to wait for somebody else to release the sound of grace. We can do it ourselves. Zechariah 4.7 says this, Who are you, O great mountain? <laughs> Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, without understanding the backstory of this verse, it doesn't exactly make a lot of sense. But I wanted you to see that the answer to Zerubbabel's mountain was the sound of grace being realized and released with shouts of grace, grace to it. Zerubbabel was the governor over the reestablishment of the Jewish people in their own land. The Jews had been in Babylon for more than 70 years, and they were told, after 70 years, you can go home. Some of them didn't, some of them didn't. So Zerubbabel was the governor in charge of rebuilding the temple, getting everybody doing what they were supposed to be doing. He was also in charge of the reinstitution of the temple high priest and the renewal of the sacrificial offerings for sin. This was a really big deal. Because with the completion of the temple, the presence and favor of God would be restored to them. 
And God's favor is always associated with his presence. So they were looking forward to living in God's blessing once again. But Zerubbabel did have quite a bit of resistance in rebuilding the temple. In chapter 3 of Zechariah, we see into one of the eight visions that God had given to Zechariah. And verse 1, it says this. And he, God the Father, (laughs) showed him, Zechariah, Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. What I want you to see, without getting into the whole vision, is what was behind the mountain, spoken about in 4.7. Sometimes we have mountains that come, (laughs) that stand against us. All of the resistance was from Satan. Zerubbabel experienced all kinds of threatenings from various authorities. He even experienced resistance from the people who were supposed to be helping him rebuild the temple. But behind all of that resistance was Satan, trying to stop the promises of God from coming to pass. Now, we have a huge advantage over the Old Covenant believers. We know that Satan has already been defeated through the cross of Jesus Christ. But he still brings resistance into the lives of believers. He still uses natural things and natural people to try to get us to quit. To quit whatever God is leading us to do. To quit believing in the promises that our Father has made to us personally. He tries to get us to quit believing that our Father, our Daddy God, is good and powerful and that He loves us more than we could ever really understand. One of Satan's most popular modes of resistance is to tell us that we are powerless against his antics and that God obviously isn't paying attention, so we are on our own. <laughs> Which is like the biggest, dumbest lie he could come up with. <laughs> But believers often fall for it. They start speaking in agreement with his dumb lies. They say things like, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing something? And God's like, I'm right here, and you need to open your mouth and speak grace. Believers often forget that God works through people. Most of Zerubbabel's resistance came through people. (laughs) But most of Israel's help also came through spirit-enabled people. In the beginning of chapter 4 in Zechariah, God gives Zechariah another vision. And I have a picture for you to see of a menorah and two olive trees. Hopefully this will help you understand what this vision is about as I read it to you. (laughs) It's easier to see it than it is to just hear it. Starting with verse 1, it says this, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and one the other is on the left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And that's a small L. This angel that he's talking to is not the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ gave the vision and this is just a ministering angel helping him to understand the vision. The angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. I always think this is really funny. (laughs) It isn't, but I think it is. (laughs) It's like the angel's going, How dumb are you? (laughs) When actually what he's trying to do is he's trying to get him to concentrate. (laughs) Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, 
saith the Lord of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth. The term Yahweh Sabaoth, Yahweh is God's covenant name. And when you read Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all in caps, it's actually his personal name, Yahweh. And then Lord of hosts means Sabaoth. The names of God are supposed to paint pictures for us. The pagans often worshipped the quote-unquote hosts of heaven. Stars, planets, they thought all of those things were gods. And so they had all kinds of pagan rituals to worship these gods. So God's name, Yahweh Sabaoth, is a no, 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 no. I am the God of the hosts that are created and above and beyond. I am the God that has all power. I am the God that has angels, armies of angels if I need them. <laughs> See all those stars, there's angels, <laughs> as many as that. So this name is supposed to paint this huge, big, powerful picture that Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the heavenly hosts and beyond, the God with all the power in the world is talking to you. Listen up. <laughs> he says, I have a word for you. Whatever it is I've promised, Whatever it is that I've told you to do, it isn't going to get done because you work hard. It isn't going to get done because 14 people are going to help you. It's going to get done by my spirit, says the Lord. Verse 7, and this is where the mountain comes in. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. He's talking here about the resistance to the temple being built. Zechariah made sure that the foundation was laid, but nothing else was finished. People got bored. <laughs> People got other things to do, got those kids at home. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 no. What I say comes to pass. You're going to see Zechariah place that capstone on there, and it will be finished because of the grace, grace of Almighty God. Verse 10. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven eyes are of the Lord, Yahweh, which reigns throughout the whole earth. He doesn't actually have seven eyes. <laughs> this is just a picture of the complete ability of God to see everything. Verse 11, Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes? from which the golden oil is poured out. And he said to me, do you not know what these are? <laughs> I love that. I just tickles me. <laughs> and he said, no, no, my Lord, no, sir. Lord is sir. No, sir. 14. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. The two anointed ones. It was Zerubbabel, the governor of Israel, and Joshua, the high priest of Israel. These two men foreshadow in their lives our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as both a king and a priest in one. They are types or shadows of the one who was to come. In this vision, we see two trees, which represent one, the civil government, and two, the ecclesiastical government. In today's vernacular, we would say church and state. <laughs> it was the civil government and it was the religious government. And then we see the tubes carrying the golden oil to a large reservoir, which is then attached to each branch of the menorah. The oil, of course, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit and his divine power to enable men to do and fulfill the will of God. 
Now, this was a very unusual picture. <laughs> it is, of course, symbolic. In the temple, when it was going to be finished, there would be menorahs that had to be tended to by men. They would have to prepare special oil. They would have to clean the lamps. They would have to replace the wicks. And all of this had to be done on a continuous basis because the light of God was never to go out. Because in Christ, the light of God never goes out. But this vision indicates that God, by his grace, will give these two men a never-ending supply of the Holy Spirit so that whatever God promises will come to pass in and through them. Now, this was an amazing promise, a never-ending supply of God's power. Zechariah had never heard of such a thing, <laughs> and yet this is the very present reality of the New Covenant believer. We have a never-ending supply of help and power through the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is something an Old Covenant believer never had. The Holy Spirit could be on them or with them, but he never lived inside of them. This grace to be endued with power was not something they earned. It was given to them as a grace, an absolutely free loving kindness of God to enable them to participate in bringing God's plans, purposes, and promises into reality. And this grace and the understanding of it was the weapon that was used to overcome the mountain of resistance. Verse 7 says that the mountain would become a plain, flattened like a pancake, and the completion of both the promise and the temple would be amid shouts of grace, grace to it. The sound of grace was released through the spoken word. We too can speak grace to our mountains. When we speak grace, we are saying to whatever resistance we are experiencing, my God is greater than you. My God, buddy boy, <laughs> you don't even know who you've picked a fight with. You have picked a fight with the God, Yahweh Sabaoth, the God that has all power and all authority. So because of that, we can speak to these mountains and tell them to go in the name of Jesus. We can tell those mountains, I am trusting in my Father's absolutely free loving kindness for me. He loves to be good to me. He loves to take care of me. He loves to provide for me. That's who I'm trusting in. This victory has already been accomplished on my behalf because of my Father's great love for me. Grace is God's absolutely free, loving kindness. And it's also known as his unmerited favor. He loves to do favors for us. He loves to shower favor on us through other people just because he loves us. This unmerited favor graces us with his divine enablement and his divine influence upon our heart. In other words, he leads us to do his will because he loves us. And then he empowers us to do his will because he loves us. <laughs> and part of his will for us is to understand this powerful grace and then release the sound of grace into our own lives and the lives of others. Our own hearts need to hear the sound of grace that comes from a good, good father. When we see how free his grace is, how good his grace is, how complete his grace is, our hearts can't help but trust in his grace. And then we can receive even more of his grace and goodness. My encouragement this morning is that we ask the Lord to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see, hear, and receive even more revelation of this magnificent grace. Everything God has done and continues to do is by his absolutely free, 
loving kindness. And the more we hear the sound of grace, the more our faith rises to take hold of what we hear. When we speak grace, we can't help hearing grace. When we speak grace, we can't help hearing grace. And nothing builds our trust and faith in our Father's love and goodness like the sound of grace. But we don't have to wait for somebody else to bring it to us. We can go to the Word. We can go to the Father. And we can say, Father, I know in who I have trusted. I know that you are everything I need. I know how good you are and how much you love me. And that is what I'm trusting in. When we speak to a mountain, we're telling that mountain that it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how scary you are. It doesn't matter if you rumble. You can burst into flames if you like. But I know in who I am trusting, and he is a good, good Father. It doesn't matter what comes against us. We have to look to the Father who, out of his great love, says yes to every promise and amen to every promise. We can trust him with everything. Don't let the mountains scare you. They'll try. <laughs> Speak grace. Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of all power, gives you words to speak to those mountains, and they all contain the grace of our Father. Amen? Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word, that you have given us a never-ending supply of the Holy Spirit and his power. We are never powerless. We are never at our own discretion to just take care of things by ourselves. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You have given us everything. You have given us yourself and your power and your plans and your purposes. You are the God who gives and gives liberally, gives generously, gives because that's who you are, your grace. That's who you are. Thank you, Father God, for the grace that saves us, for the grace that keeps us, and for the grace that empowers us. We thank you, Father God, that we have the privilege to speak grace to this world, that we have the privilege to tell our neighbor, God loves you and he's not mad. You don't have to be so sad. There is someone who is for you. There is someone who will help you. There is someone who wants you more than you could ever understand. He wants to love you. Father God, I thank you for the sound of grace. There is nothing like hearing your approval and your love and your acceptance. It changes who we are because this world always tells us we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're always something not enough. But you always say, in me, you have everything you need. In, in Christ Jesus, we are fully supplied. We have a never-ending supply of power and love and hope and peace and joy, all the things that your precious Holy Spirit brings into our life. Father, we thank you that we can believe you because everything you give and have given is by grace, absolutely free for the believing. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.